0: Romans, the 13th chapter, beginning with the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain." It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now, uh, those boys and girls with their parents' blessing who'd like to go to the back of the sanctuary with Miss Stephanie for our kids' word time, this is time that you should walk down the aisle. And we love you, and we thank God for you. Would you pray with me again? Gracious Lord, open our minds to your word. And as we meditate on the scriptures, help us to understand your desires for us and how we might serve you best. We need to learn continually what it means to live in this world, but not of it. So give us um, a holy hunger to gain knowledge from you and then to put that knowledge into right And faithful living. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you are God, our strong rock, our blessed Redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some of you know that uh, I became a pastor in July of 1984. That means I've been pastoring for 35 years and counting. And I am trusting that uh, God still has some use for me for the next few years. I think I've still got some good years in me. I will continue uh, working hard for you. And I will continue working hard with you. With you. As we fulfill our mission as people of God. I have been thinking this summer... A lot about our congregation, about our future. I've been thinking a lot about our mission. And um, our mission, you know, is concise and it's a faithful mission. Uh, We are to lead people to Christ, incorporating them into the life of the church, and equipping one another for effective Christian living. Some of you know the story back in the summer of 98 when I was interviewing. Um, And, you know, any interview process, whether it's a church, a business, a hospital, whatever, it's really a two-way interview, isn't it? I mean, the would-be employee is interviewing the employer, right? And so during one of those conversations, someone said, so are there any questions you have? And I said, yeah. I got one question about the mission statement. I think there's a word there that's redundant. And one of the members said, yes! And then he said, and which word is it? And I said, well, effective. He says, yes! Yes! I argued that same point when the mission statement was developed and you know if it's Christian living it can't be um, ineffective (laughs) Christian living is always effective but that modifier was kept in the mission statement to remind us that we are to intentionally and you know effectively serve God by the way we live not just when we're here at 10,000 Spain and worship but how we live in our homes our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Today's sermon uh, is really focusing on that third component of our mission statement living effectively as Christians. And I think in today's world, with everything that is going on around us, um, we need to understand and remember what it means to live faithfully as Christians, as citizens of the state and as citizens of the eternal kingdom of God. So today, that's going to be our focus, uh, church and state, and how we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ in each. Uh, one of our members uh, last week, you know, when the bulletins were all being printed and collated and assembled for Saturday night and 8, nine thirty, and 11, uh, saw the sermon title and said, So, Pastor Bruce, you're going to be talking about Donald Trump or AOC? And he was a little disappointed when I told him I wouldn't be talking about either. (laughs) Because, you see, this is not a sermon about politicians. Have you ever heard any of your pastors, Jerry, Carroll or yours truly, preach about politicians from this pulpit? As I have said before, 35 years and counting, I will say again today... A pulpit in a Christian sanctuary is a place where pastors are called, invited, and charged with preaching the word of God, and anything that I would say about a particular politician would be my personal opinion, right? Now, my personal opinion would be awesome. (laughs) And don't you think a lot of your own personal opinions, I mean, do you think your political opinions are wrong? Are you ashamed of them? Of course not. You think you're right. So do I. But my personal opinions will not save you from sin and death. And oh, by the way, if you remember anything from this sermon, just take this home. Your opinions about politics will not save you from sin and death either. This pulpit is for declaring what God has to say to us about our life in Christ and our calling as his people. In the world, but not of it. Now, friends, this does not mean that I'm apolitical. I care very much about what our politicians are doing and saying, and these days I'm caring a whole lot more about what they are not doing. I had serious conversations through the years with many of you about politics, and sometimes we agree and we compliment one another on our vast wisdom (laughs) and insight. We are superlative. And then sometimes we have conversations and, ooh, we find out that we are really looking at the world differently, different politics, personal politics. So we are not united here at Faith because we always agree on every issue or support the same candidate in every election. I have participated in about 420 council meetings since 1984. And in all those council meetings, you know, you're waiting for everyone to arrive and then the meeting's over, it's adjourned and then there's that meeting after the meeting that takes place, you know, in the parking lot and in those conversations before and after council meetings I've watched church council people come to realize that wow, they they have very different political agendas and support different political candidates yet I have seen how those very same councils have been able to work together effectively regardless of those differences. You see, what unites us in Christ is our faith in Him, not our faith in the Republican, the Democratic, the Libertarian, the Green, or any other party. Um, I gotta tell you a story I can now laugh at, but it was like my first year here at Faith, and I had a, an older couple Asked me between services if I would, if I would pray for their, their son and his wife. I said, Well, sure. And so I prayed for them by name. And then they said, The son and the daughter in law, why, why, Why'd you pray for us during worship? I said, Well, because you, your mom asked me to. Well, I don't know what that's all about. So I called the mother and said, you know, I I prayed for your son and his wife. And they didn't seem too pleased about it. Why why were we praying? And she said, because they've become Republicans. You know. (laughs) So now. Now, you know why we always ask, do you have the person's permission to pray for them? (laughs) We're not trying to be, you know, legalistic gatekeepers, but. We want people to be prayed for when they want to be prayed for. You know, did anyone, did anyone uh, stop you at any of the entrances this morning and ask you to declare your party affiliation before you were allowed in the sanctuary? If someone did, you need to talk to me. Were any of you required to reveal your personal political affiliation during the new member class? before you were allowed to officially join this congregation i think not hey what year was faith founded 55 who was president back then eisenhower Eisenhower. what was he a republican and since then we the people have elected five presidents who were democrats Five who are Republican, and some of you are already saying, uh-uh, there's more than that. There's 11. Well, Gerald Ford was not elected, was he? And some of you are old enough to know what happened back then. Whether a Republican or a Democrat lived in our White House through our history as a congregation going back to the mid-'50s, we have always sought to be, first and foremost, faithful to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, And we did that during the Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush again, Obama administrations. We're doing it now. And we will continue serving the Lord on November 4th, 2020, no matter who was elected to be president the day before. What unites us here at Faith is Jesus Christ. What makes us one is the work of God's Holy Spirit among us. And what keeps us united in faith, hope, and love is the living Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so today we meditate on what the Word teaches us about our life together as citizens on this earth and citizens in the kingdom of God. And we, in our American vocabulary, talk about that as church and state. Martin Luther described this faithfully in his day in the 1500s in Germany in his Theology of Two Kingdoms. I've taught... And preached on this before. Luther saw in God's word these separate realms, these two kingdoms. He saw it all in the Word of God. He didn't concoct this, you know, on his own. He saw it in our reading today from Romans. And the words of Christ Himself in Mark chapter twelve, where Jesus says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Caesars and render to God that which is God's so Luther came to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ We live with this dual citizenship in these two kingdoms while we're on planet earth The kingdom of Christ he called the kingdom on the right because in the Creed Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father a place of honor and righteousness And then using that same imagery he refers to the kingdom on the left the kingdoms of this world when Christ comes again All the kingdoms of this world will be over. When Jesus returns in glory, his kingdom will reign forever. So imagine this, my friends. When Jesus comes back, there will be no more robocalls or political ad campaigns. And isn't that enough to make you say, Amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until that day comes, you and I have to live in this dynamic tension of this dual citizenship in the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom on the left. And it's this dual citizenship that Paul is addressing in this part of his letter to the Romans. Listen to those first verses again. Paul begins by saying, Every person should be subject to governing authorities because Christians don't get an out. They're not exempt. All people are subject to the government, which in Paul's day included faithful Jews, a Roman Gentile, sometimes called pagans, and a band, a growing collection of Jesus people, Christians. Similarly, the laws of our land today are meant for everyone, Christians and pagans, Buddhists and Mormons, Anglicans and agnostics. Paul reminds us that everyone is accountable to government, not because government is perfect and omnipotent, but because government has been instituted by God. Let's pause right there. Worldly temporal authority has been established by God. Did you know this? Do you know that the Bible teaches us that government is God's idea. Many people, Christians included, wrongly think that government is something that humanity created. It's our idea that God is in heaven on His throne and He really doesn't have much to do from there with earthly affairs down here. But the Word of God tells us that God cares very much about things on earth, so much that in His orders of creation He establishes marriage, government, Think back to when Jesus was on trial. Pilate took our Lord and had him beaten and tortured and flogged. And the soldiers are punching him in the face and spitting on him. And they shove the crown of thorns into his scalp. And there's an angry crowd just screaming, crucify him. And then Pilate says, where do you come from, Jesus? And our Lord is silent. Pilate says, you won't talk to me? You won't talk to me? Don't you know I have authority to set you free? And I have authority to nail you up on a cross. And do you remember what our Lord said? You have no authority over me except what has been given you from above. You see, secular historians would say that Pilate's authority was nothing less than the authority of Rome, of Caesar himself. But Jesus says otherwise. As Christians here in these United States, you know, we can. And and we should rejoice in the freedom that we have to elect our government officials. And we should rejoice in the freedom we have to vote them out of office. (laughs) But whether we live in a monarchy, a republic, a democracy, we believe what Jesus told Pilate No earthly authority would have any authority were it not for God who ordained that there should be on His earth order instead of chaos when it comes to our life together in any particular city, state, province, or nation. You see, good public order is God's idea. He cares. How we go about working out the details of our local jurisdictions, well, God, you know, He leaves that up to us. And this brings us to what is an all-too-often misunderstood interpretation of this biblical teaching. While it is true that government is God's idea for the sake of order and the public good, it is not God's intention, it is not pleasing to the Lord when those governments become corrupt and filled with evil men and women. Paul said, rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad And this is true when those rulers themselves understand what Paul puts forth about their authority, not residing in themselves, but in a greater authority in the God who created the universe. So when those entrusted with worldly authority do not understand and do not respect the source of their true power, the God to whom they're accountable, well, they can and they have become enemies of Christ's kingdom, enemies of God himself. When rulers turn from God and become instruments of evil, Christians are by no means required to obey their laws and regulations. Christians who raised the right hand and followed the hatred, the anti-Semitism, the evil that was Hitler and the Third Reich, their consciences should have been terrorized, in the words of Paul. But thousands of Christians in Europe ignored and renounced their citizenship in the kingdom of God and followed the evil that was the Fuhrer. And they may have been really good Nazis, but they were not being faithful Christians, were they? So again, we turn to God's word for guidance when it comes to these things. You can look this up later, tonight, tomorrow. Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles, they're in Jerusalem, and once again, they're in authority with the government and the temple council. I'm reading here starting at verse 26. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them in. And when they brought them in, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood, Jesus, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men and then picking up in verse 40 they're in trouble again they called in the apostles they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go and when the apostles left the presence of the council they rejoiced they were happy that they were counted worthy to suffer such dishonor for the name of Jesus, and every day in the temple and at home they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. See, it was illegal to preach Jesus. When any earthly authority fulfills its God-given role to establish order and keep the peace, then we as Christians can and should live as responsible citizens within that society, yes? But when any earthly government forsakes its God-given role and starts to bring about chaos and violence, when a government makes it illegal to share the good news of Jesus Christ, well, then we have a spiritual, moral obligation to stand up and stand against such law. And even if we are someday placed behind bars like the apostles, we should face such punishment with a good conscience that we have been faithful to Christ church and state. Perhaps you are just delighted that Donald Trump is our president. Maybe you were hoping Gary Johnson would have pulled off an upset victory. Hillary Clinton may have been your choice. The person sitting beside you, behind you, may have voted for the same person or someone else. But there is no left or right side of the aisle at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, there are sinners. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And Christ died for us all, whether we identify ourselves as Republicans, Democrats, independents, or anything else. And think back to John 17. Jesus has told his disciples over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And in John 17, we listen in, To Jesus, praying his heart out to his Father, knowing the suffering and the agony that awaits him. And in that prayer, he's not praying for himself. He's praying for us. He says, Lord, let my people, let my church, let my bride be one. Even as you and the Holy Spirit and I are one. This world will never be perfect until Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. Until then, we are to do our best as people with this temporary dual citizenship. Politics, I'm, I'm watching politics ruin so many long-standing friendships, even my own, and dividing more than a few families In a couple months, I turned 62. I have never witnessed our nation more divided than it is now when it comes to the public square. So perhaps one gift of the many gifts that we the church might offer the world is an example of how to live and work together, how to behave with civility and deportment and mutual respect, seeking the common good, even when we have strong differences of opinion, especially in temporal matters such as politics. Church and state. Two kingdoms. Now I'm going to close with three quotes. And if you know who said these words, don't be shy, just shout it out. And don't worry if you're wrong. Just, just give it a try. So here's quote number one. God does not need your good works but your neighbor does. See, this resonates with Paul saying, love fulfills the law. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Who said that? Bruce Wilder, no. (laughs) Martin Luther, was he a Democrat or a Republican? He was a German living under the emperor, Charles V. Let's see if you do better with this one. Boy, and this one really speaks to what's going on today. When people are intimidated about sharing their opinions, oppression is always at hand. President Jimmy Carter, a Democrat. And then this last quote. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Ronald Reagan, a Republican. Church and state, both sides of the aisle. Let us pray. Lord, you have ordered the world according to your will and purpose. You are the source of life and the one who instituted governing authorities upon your earth. We pray for all those entrusted with leadership in our life together as a nation, as a state, as a city. Turn us from evil desires and selfish ambitions. Give to all those in positions of leadership, and give to each one of us a right sense of of duty and honor. And Lord, bless your people with the wisdom we need in times like these and the courage we need in all things. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.